hppodcraft.com. All right. I saw him on a sleepless night when I was walking desperately to save my soul and my vision. My coming to New York had been a mistake. For whereas I had looked for poignant wonder and inspiration in the teeming labyrinths of ancient streets that twist endlessly from forgotten courts and squares and waterfronts to courts and squares and waterfronts equally forgotten, and in the cyclopean modern towers and pinnacles that rise blackly Babylonian under waning moons, I had found instead only a sense of horror and oppression which threatened to master, paralyze, and annihilate me. That was the uh, first paragraph from H.P. Lovecraft's short story, He, the story of a man who has moved and regrets it. Uh, uh, wow. You know, I'm a, I'm a man who's uh, recently moved. But you don't regret it, hopefully. Don't you want to know who I am as a man? Oh, uh, yeah, as a man. <laughs> I want to know who you are as, I'm, human as human, Who I, are you? I, my name's Chris Lackey. And who are you? Well, hi, Chris. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And this is the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. We're at hppodcraft.com. Uh, as I was saying, I have just moved. I am in uh, northern England in Yorkshire right now. All right. Uh, our, our regular listeners may notice that um, uh, things have changed slightly on the site. Uh, mm-hmm. We have uh, got a new member of our team here at the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast, Mike Mann. Yeah, uh, our site has moved uh, to a new hosting service, so there's a redesign. Um, we'll have all of the old comments and forum posts up at some point, um, but right now it's still a work in progress. Thanks, everybody, for your patience while we were making that move. Yes, yeah, we're working on it. So it'll be, hopefully, maybe by the time this is uh, this this goes live, it'll be already set. And also another thing, we you might have to re-subscribe uh, through iTunes because... Um, it's it's since we're moved over with hosting, there might be a problem with that. So you'll have you'll have to go through and resubscribe through iTunes. Which, if you listen to this show on iTunes, you probably uh, aren't getting that message that's telling you to do that. Right. So <laughs> hopefully, you'll investigate on your own. <laughs> uh, that reader was Andrew Lehman. Oh yeah. And uh, you know, so much moving and changing. We've got another addition to the family. Even it's Troy Sterling niece who was nice enough to uh, lend us some of his music to use in future episodes. Yep. Uh, you might know Troy's work from the Call of Cthulhu silent film, which he scored. Uh, he's got the upcoming Whisper in Darkness, I think he did as well. Oh, right? yep, yep. He did the music for the trailer. So the trailer's up, and you guys, you guys can check that out and, and uh, hear some of his stuff. So, Yeah, we'll put a link up to that. We're very lucky to have him uh, contribute some, some music to the show. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's enjoy some of that right now. So Lovecraft didn't like New York, huh? Uh, no, no. Lovecraft didn't like, you know, he, now Lovecraft, of course, moved there with his wife, Sonia, um, uh-huh. uh, who he met at a, a literary conference in Boston. Uh, they were married after a, a courtship of a few years, and uh, he decided to just get up and move to New York to be with her, and he didn't like it at all. He was, no, it... he, he thought it was kind of uh, filled with foreigners and uh, trouble and... Um, and we get a re- really good insight into how he really felt about New York City in this particular sure. story. Yeah, and I mean, he just blurts it out there in that first paragraph. My coming to New York had been a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my, I love that in that first paragraph. I, I like how he says, courts and squares forgotten to courts and squares equally forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's some lazy writing, uh, man. Uh, he then went on to courts that two people remembered, but one person could only slightly remember. <laughs> So anyway, the the protagonist of the story, the narrator, who we don't ever really get a name uh, of, 
he is a guy who's recently moved to New York, not unlike Lovecraft, and uh, is just trying to make his way in this, you know, the city. Yeah, he wants to be a poet. Yes, and so he figures uh, moving to Greenwich Village is the place to be because that's where all the cool people right. live. You know, that's where the hipsters yeah. are. Yeah, it says, But success and happiness were not to be. Garish daylight showed only squalor and alienage and the noxious elephantiasis of climbing, spreading stone where the moon had hinted of loveliness and elder magic. And the throngs of people that seethed through the flume-like streets were squat, swarthy strangers with hardened faces and narrow eyes, shrewd strangers without dreams and without kinship to the scenes about them, who could never mean aught to a blue-eyed man of the old folk with the love of fair green lanes and white New England village steeples in his heart. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. What an asshole. Yeah, he's really a, a jerk in this. It's, uh... I mean, it, it's funny because people talk about horror at Red Hook like that's such a racist story, but just that one paragraph there actually offended me more than that whole Red Hook story. You know, how could he say that these people don't have dreams? Yeah, yeah, that's, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty terrible. And I think it really gets all summed up in this I saw at last a fearful truth which no one had ever dared to breathe before. The unwhisperable secret of secrets. The fact that this city of stone and strider is not a sentient perpetuation of old New York as London is of old London and Paris of old Paris, but that it is in fact quite dead. Its sprawling body imperfectly embalmed and infested with queer animate things which have nothing to do with it as it was in life. Jesus. God. <laughs> what it's a- so funny because, you know, has he been to London or Paris? No, no. Lovecraft has not been to London or Paris. Uh, and so he has no idea what he's talking about. It's it's just stupid. It's just, yeah, it is. you know, it uh, is. ignorance. And, 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 I mean, gosh, to say that, a de- that the city is dead and embalmed. Yeah, it's a corpse. Oh, my God. It's just... <laughs> What a joke. I mean, this story really... I know. It, it was hard to get past all this stuff and get to the actual story because this is obviously love... Like, it really has nothing... Yeah. You know. I, to, I'm, and then finally, in the next paragraph, he does set up the actual story. Then, on a sleepless night's walk, I met the man. It was in a grotesque hidden courtyard of the Greenwich section. For there, in my ignorance, I had settled, having heard of the place as the natural home of poets and artists. The archaic lanes and houses and unexpected bits of square and court had indeed delighted me, and when I found the poets and artists to be loud-voiced pretenders whose quaintness is tinsel and whose lives are a denial of all that pure beauty which is poetry and art, I stayed on for love of these venerable things. (laughs) So, basically, he's, um... (laughs) <laughs> that paragraph is hilarious <laughs> because I just imagine that uh, he's mad that all these people are having so much fun. You know? I mean, to, to to an extent, I understand what he's saying. I mean, he thought there'd be all these artists there, and then it's just like coffee shop bohemians, you know, right. who are, uh, full of it. But also, I just imagine they're out late drinking and carousing and actually enjoying life, and he's like, "Humph, yeah, these jerks out having fun <laughs> while I'm sitting here miserable." <laughs> Don't they know what art is? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's a, yeah. They're into the wee hours of the night. They're drinking and carousing, and he's wandering around alone, looking at doorknobs from the past. You know, that's basically <laughs> yeah. Well, which is what his habit becomes, right? He starts walking around looking for old, antiquated sections. Of right. Yeah, just things that are old and that will, uh, you know. I guess he's trying to look for those last vestiges of life that may be in the city, murder sites, right? Of what he has, New York 
you know, used to be and should be, and he's trying to find those mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Well, so he, he wanders around um, in the middle of the night to do this because he finds that there's fewer, you know, probably immigrants to bother him. I don't know. <laughs> but um, he goes on to tell you who this man was that he met. He He's out walking and he's rambling in some forgotten courts when he comes across this thin man with a soft, hollow voice. Uh, he's wearing this cloak and this out-of-date, wide-brimmed hat. And uh, the guy basically says, hey, you know, I noticed you're an appreciator of the past. Uh, why don't you let me guide you around to some even more forgotten courts? Yeah. And uh, so, of course, our protagonist is way into that. Yeah. And the guy starts leading them around through all these oldie-timey neighborhoods and different parts of the city. Once they even have to crawl, he says. Right. It's like some kind of, um, you know, architectural haunted house or something. It's like not that. unlike uh, your um, walking tour you did in London of the uh, uh, Jack the Ripper murder sites. Yeah, I took that Jack the Ripper walking tour in the, <laughs> in Whitechapel in London. It was really fun. There's a guy with a big, uh, crazy, you know, 1890s mustache, and he led us around. And uh, didn't, didn't he have like a deer stalker cap and uh, like a, yeah. a cloak? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was very dramatic, and uh, you know, it was the middle of the night when we took the tour. I love stuff like that. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> but at one point, I did fall asleep standing up. I was so tired from the trip. Wow. Well, yeah. you you're probably jet lagged. I was I was jet lagged. Yeah. Yeah. I was tired. How are you? You've overcome your jet lag now. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's been a couple weeks. Um, yeah, yeah, sorry for that hiatus also uh, that we had for the week there, folks, while we were kind of getting everything uh, shipped around. Yeah, but no, I'm doing fine. I'm doing great. Um, I'm, I feel acclimated, and uh, there you go. This guy uh, is starting to get a little confused as he's being led around by this man that he met. Finally, the, the man leads him to this alley that runs steeply uphill. And our guy's like, I didn't know that they had hills this steep in New York, you know? And everything's only lit by these sort of um, oldie-timey colonial lanterns. And at the upper end of the street of the alley, there's the wall of an estate, which the man leads him through, the gate of the, the wall. Right. And uh, the man takes him to a house, into this huge library room. And I found it funny that the, the Lovecraft stand and the protagonist was just like, oh, this guy's taking me to a house, that's cool, no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> He's not creeped out at all. <laughs> no. This guy's wearing a cloak. Uh, well, I mean, he's in old-timey stuff, and, you know, he's a kindred yeah. soul, so I guess... You know, this kind of reminds me of Hypnos. Yeah. A little bit. It, you know how when he sees the the guy laying in the train station, he they, like, lock eyes, and then they just yeah. understand each other? It's kind of like that same sort of thing. Right. Well, it is, because, I mean, that was a little more of a love story, whereas this just seems like an anonymous hookup. <laughs> 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 like, this really had this kind of, I don't know... They kind of make some signals to each other in a dark alley and then follow each other up to this house. I was just like, what's going on here? (laughs) And then it gets really cool. The guy takes him into the house and into this huge library room. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then this happens. Before seating himself across the table from me, my host paused for a moment as if in embarrassment. Then, tardily removing his gloves, wide-brimmed hat and cloak, stood theatrically revealed in full mid-Georgian costume, from cued hair and neck ruffles to knee breeches, silk hose, and the buckled shoes I had not previously noticed. Now, slowly sinking into a lyreback chair, he commenced to eye me intently. <laughs> <laughs> the guy, like, throws off his cloak and reveals this costume he's wearing. He's it's so funny. Yeah, he's got, like, a 1700s costume that underneath his cloak that he, wa- he walks around in. Yeah. It's so creepy. It's like... I know, but he, he's like, I can show you this. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reveal myself to you. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's, it just feels like a creepy... Like you said, it's like a creepy hookup. And then when they get back to his place, he's like, yeah, check it out. I'm in a cosplay. Hopefully you're up for that. <laughs> totally. So this guy is wearing a little... Uh, wearing an yeah. outfit. 
I mean, he's completely fetishized the 18th century, the way that Lovecraft right. And uh, But our protagonist, does. it seems to be a little, finds it curious, but not, you know, he's not running out of it. Yeah, and the guy even says, you know, yeah, okay, I dress like this, but I'm not all queenie about it, you know? <laughs> so what's the big deal? This is just, you know, what I do around the house. <laughs> and the protagonist is like, that's cool, man. <laughs> so the guy in the costume says, you know, I've had the luck of overseeing this estate, which belonged to my ancestors, and it dates back to the 18th century. And that's the time in the era I prefer, so that's why I dress this way, and that's why I live this way. And he says that his ancestor who had founded the estate practiced some strange arts and made some strange discoveries related to that. Uh-huh. Yes, yes, right? absolutely, yeah. But uh, we're not exactly sure what those are, at least at this point right, in the story. Right, uh, He says, I'm going to show you some yeah. stuff. And, and basically he said, you know, here's what happened. My ancestor thought that men could have dominion over everything. And he saw these Indians on the property doing some magical stuff, and he told them... If, that they could continue to roam the grounds if they told him about them. Right. And they did. And then they all drank some bad rum. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it's totally that, you know, here's some blankets with some smallpox on <laughs> Right? I'm, am I reading no, it right? Yeah, I mean, right. I don't think they yeah, actually... No, I don't, I, it's not I don't an accident. He, um, yeah, he doesn't know whether or not the that his ancestor killed them intentionally or they just had bad rum. But he probably, he killed, probably them killed them intentionally. I mean, I think... He, yeah, he stole their magical secrets and then killed yeah. them. <laughs> well, as the man tells this to our protagonist, his speech gets more and more antiquated with mm-hmm. each paragraph. He says that his ancestor had took this learning he got from the Indians, and he sort of added things he learned from these intellects at Oxford and a chemist in Paris, and um, and that his point of view is that reality is but a puff of smoke and that a man can make out of the world whatever he desires. Hmm. So this guy is, is very much so like Crawford Tillinghast or... Uh, any of Lovecraft's sort of megalomaniacal. Actually, the guy in Hypnos was like that as well, right? He right. wanted to have dominion over the over the world. Exactly. It's uh, it's the Faustian kind of, you know, the guy who wants all this power. You, you just right, know yeah. he's going to get punished. He's going to get punished for it. Yeah, there's a price, and then he's going to have to pay it. Yeah, at some point. So to illustrate that that a man can have you know dominion over what he sees in the world, he says, "Come here and look at this window." Yeah. Um, I want to show you something. My host now took my hand to draw me to one of the two windows on the long side of the malodorous room, and at the first touch of his ungloved fingers, I turned cold. His flesh, though dry and firm, was of the quality of ice, and I almost shrank away from his pulling. But again I thought of the emptiness and horror of reality, and boldly prepared to follow whithersoever I might be led. Once at the window, the man drew apart the yellow silk curtains and directed my stare into the blackness outside. For a moment, I saw nothing save a myriad of tiny dancing lights far, far before me. Then, as if in response to an insidious motion of my host's hand, a flash of heat lightning played over the scene, and I looked out upon a sea of luxuriant foliage, foliage unpolluted, and not the sea of roofs to be expected by any normal mind. On my right, the Hudson glittered wickedly, and in the distance ahead I saw the unhealthy shimmer of a vast salt marsh constellated with nervous fireflies. The flash died, and an evil smile illumined the waxy face of the aged necromancer. That was before my time, before the new squire's time. Pray, let us try again. So that's pretty trippy. Yeah, he opens up the window and uh, it it doesn't it doesn't have modern New York there. It has an ancient marsh, yeah, a swamp, which New York used to be right. Or I mean, was built on New York was built on. One of the things too that this is something that Lovecraft probably kn- knew is that the Indians of the area were the I'm not sure how this is pronounced, uh, mm-hmm. Sap 
that's never stopped us from taking a swing at it. Sapohonikin? <laughs> Sapohonikin? I don't know. The Sapohonikin okay, Indians. The Sapohonikin Indians. I could be saying that totally wrong, but uh, those were the guys that were in at that point. And and from what it looks like, Lovecraft knew that there were Indians, you know, in New York City before then. So he was probably taking on, some, you know, some of his knowledge that he had of this and right. incorporated into the into the story, which Lovecraft, it's something Lovecraft likes to do, take real historical events and kind of weave them into yeah. the stories, as we saw in the Shunt House. You know, you pronouncing that wrong probably means that tonight as you're in bed, you're going to hear the padding of moccasin feet going up the stairs. <laughs> well, the man, he smiles through... Uh, he says he has these yellowed fangs almost. He says, well, I, I didn't. that was too far back, you know. Uh, let me show you something else. And he opens the curtain on the window again and he shows Greenwich. It's an actual town, the town of Greenwich, before it was sort of ruined by modernity. Right. It looks very nice to Lovecraft. Yeah. And then the, or the Lovecraft stand-in. And he says, well, can you go far? Meaning, can you go into the future? Yeah. And, and show me something? Far? What I have seen would blast you to a mad statue of stone. Back, back, forward, forward, look, you puling lackwit. And as he snarled the phrase under his breath, he gestured anew, bringing to the sky a flash more blinding than either which had come before. For full three seconds I could glimpse that pandemoniac sight, and in those seconds I saw a vista which will ever afterward torment me in dreams. I saw the heavens verminous with strange flying things, and beneath them a hellish black city of giant stone terraces with impious pyramids flung savagely to the moon and devil lights burning from unnumbered windows. And swarming loathsomely on aerial galleries, I saw the yellow, squint-eyed people of that city robed horribly in orange and red and dancing insanely to the pounding of fevered kettle drums, the clatter of obscene crotala, and the maniacal moaning of muted horns whose ceaseless dirges rose and fell undulantly like the waves of an unhallowed ocean of bitumen. Yeah. So this is oh, wow. kind of an apocalyptic uh, vision of, of New York City, obviously. Yeah, with Asians everywhere. Oh, jeez. I mean, that's what he's saying, basically. Yeah, it right? is, the it thing. is, yeah. He's basically saying the whole place is going to be uh, overrun by foreigners and it will just make mm-hmm. you know, not only the city probably the whole world you know uh an apocalyptic wasteland right <laughs> which is <laughs> so which funny. is stupid because asia is full of many great civilizations well yeah what's the problem like lovecraft what he's just such a a blooming idiot <laughs> I know. this story makes me so angry it's just so <laughs> stupid <sighs> Yeah. I mean, it's cool to have a window that you can look around. That reminded oh, right, me of yeah. sort of um, at the end of H.G. Wells' The Time Machine when he's just kind of running around through all these different futures and he keeps seeing stranger and stranger things. In fact, there's a very Lovecraftian part of that. It's been a long time since I read it, but I remember he, he goes forward into the future and he's on a beach and there's just this thing sort of flopping along the beach that's horrible to look at. Oh, you know? right. I remember he that. He jumps yeah, back yeah, yeah. into the time machine and gets out of there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. There's a lot of cool yeah. things in that story. But you know, this... This actually, there's a Dunsany story, The Chronicles of Rodriguez, where there's this whole window in New York City where you can see the future and the past. So, oh, really? Yeah, Lovecraft totally ripped that off. Like, he ripped off a story and then wrote a bunch of, like, uh, xenophobic crap, basically. <laughs> I know we're not done with this yet. I know we're not there yet. Yeah. But, but I'm, I'm, so, I'm so mad right now. 
Well, sp- speak your mind about it, certainly. I will say that right here, the comeuppance happens, and that's when the story gets really cool yeah. <laughs> to me. <laughs> because basically the man in his, in his little 18th century costume, he pushed it too far by showing this future vision. Which makes our protagonist, you know, of course, our protagonist gets all fainty and screamy when he when he sees the thing, of and course. then they hear moccasin footsteps coming up the <laughs> stairs, and the man starts saying, "You called them; they're coming for me." You know, he's saying, "I didn't poison your rum; <laughs> I was just keeping the magic safe for you guys. Come on!" And yeah. uh, and then we get a bit of an action sequence. Um, the old man he tears down the curtain, and moonlight floods into the library, mm-hmm. and uh, and when the moonlight comes in, the man gets like older, and the room gets mustier. Right. It's almost like it rots in the in the light. Yeah, of the moon. Sub, like something like maybe the magic of it was keeping it, you know, fresh and new. Right. You know, and maybe this guy isn't actually the ancestor. He might actually be the guy because he's yes, exactly. You know, made made himself live longer. Right. Right. And through um, magic. Exactly. I think that is the case. I think you know he's probably the actual guy. And again, you have that moon having this powerful magical effect on characters in Lovecraft stories. Right. Then there's a rapping on the door to the library, and then the crash of the wood paneling as tomahawks start splitting through the door. <laughs> tomahawks! That's so great. That is so oh, great. Oh boy! I, I mean, I, I just I think it's so cool that Indian spirits come in and kick everybody's ass. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I do like that. I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, you know the Native American. I mean, I've I've got a. I'm gonna admit it. I've got a bit of the white guilt. You know, like <laughs> there's. Yeah, sure. There's especially the the Native American people. Like, there's just no way to come correct with that. You know what I mean? I like, know. it's just I I understand what you mean with the white guild. Although a lot of the time I think you know we're just here now. This is the world as it is, and and um, yeah, we you really can't atone for the sins of those assholes in the past. You know, you just have to do no. your best to have yeah. a liberal society now. Exactly. And but that said, the Indians did get so screwed over that them getting any kind of revenge is awesome. Usually, you know, yeah. <laughs> especially if this is the actual person who did it too. Yeah, well, yeah, there you go, exactly. And uh, I do love when the tomahawks crash through the door, and I was thinking that a bunch of like Native American zombies were going to come crashing through the door or something, but it's sort of this blob, right? Uh, yeah. Well, it's basically this blob that's made up of the spirits, but it's a blob, you know? I mean, yeah, that's how he describes it. Well, it has shining, malevolent eyes is one of the things that it says. Yeah. But yeah, it's an inky black thing, but it uses a tomahawk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i would love to see that monster yeah i just yeah. imagine that it's sort of a big you know rolling uh jello ball with feathers coming out of it and then you know a lot of <laughs> arms and eyes and tomahawks oh, it'd be so cool. yeah it's a very cool description because uh, it like flows over the table and and un- under it and you know yeah. it, it comes after this guy yeah and the floor gives way so our guy, our protagonist, he falls down to another floor in the building. He sees the blob slide past him, and you know he tries to get out the front door, but he can't get out the front door, so he has to break a window. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the blob is is going after the old man, and it, does it absorb him or does it eat him up? I don't remember. I don't think it says. It I think he really just say, falls through. It? No, it doesn't. You don't see. No, yeah. he just gets so away. He, yeah, he falls through and he gets away. And it's when he gets out into the alley, he sees it's not as ancient and colonial as he remembers either. No. So this is, again, kind of a Music of Eric Zahn thing where not only is this magic going on in the house with the guy, but the whole area is somehow in this magic enchanted place. Right. That doesn't really exist. I guess it's the ghost of old New York that he was referring to earlier in the story. Right, 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 yeah. Of course he faints. (laughs) And somebody (laughs) finds him all beat up with broken bones. Yep. Um, So that's that typical, you know, device of, I, I don't know what happened in the end. I just woke up, somebody found me, and they told me this. Well, not just a, a broken bones, but a trail of blood. Oh, right. Like he crawled away. From like he crawled from some, some place from some place. Yeah. 
No, which is okay. pretty gruesome. It is gruesome. It's neat. Um, and he concludes, I never sought to return to those tenebrous labyrinths, nor would I direct any sane man thither if I could. Of who or what that ancient creature was, I have no idea. But I repeat that the city is dead and full of unsuspected horrors. Whither he has gone, I do not know. But I have gone home to the pure New England lanes up which fragrant sea winds sweep at evening. And that's the end of the story. And that is the end of the story. Uh, so, obviously we didn't like it. Obviously neither of us liked it that much, but... No. It is interesting to be doing it now. I mean, um, I, this isn't the only story that he'd written in New York. Uh, or Red Hook was in New York, and he'd written The Shunned House there as well. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, really, this, of, the, of all of the stories, really betrays his personal feelings about oh, yeah. New York. And about that move. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, I'm also obviously. I've just gone through a move, and so I'm moving yeah. to a new a new area. And um, Chad, you've mo- made major moves in your life too. Sure. You know, from sure. the Midwest to to California. Yeah, and you know we and, and 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 we're sort of making fun of him for the way he feels, and I'll continue to do that. But uh, <laughs> I can kind of understand it to an extent. You know, I mean, when I moved from the Midwest to California, it was a big change. Um, in the character of the places, you know? Right. And um, it's funny, I think, sometimes when you move, you contrast everything in the new place to how everything used to be. Oh, right, clearly, yeah. you moved away from there, so, you know, you couldn't have liked it that much, but for a long time when I lived in Los Angeles, I would say, oh, Angelinos, you know, natives here, they don't they don't get this, and they don't get that, and they're so self-centered, and the whole world, they think, is here in Los Angeles. And that's not totally true, you know? Yeah, I know. I mean... People are people anywhere you go. I think it was what I was upset about was that they didn't know more about me. Or they didn't yeah. know more about where I was from. Sure, sure. Um, which is silly. Why should they? Yeah. yeah. Well, just to be educated, maybe. To well, no, learned. I mean, I just mean, you know, we all have to learn from one another, but you can't expect somebody to already, no. uh, you know what I'm saying. Even though I am I actually quite impressed by how much of, of about the United States the British people just generally know. Oh yeah, absolutely. As it's a, embarrassing when you, when as an American, when I'm talking to right. Europeans because I don't know, you know, I'm very prototypical American in that respect. I, right. I even read, you know, international sections of the paper, but <laughs> I just feel like an idiot. Yeah, I mean, can you even name one guy that's in Parliament? Uh, James Bond. Mm, no, see, there you go. And yeah, they know, no, think, they know all about our senators, and you know, I think it's James. All right, well. Check up on that. I think James Bond. I, I maybe James Bond might might actually be in Parliament. Yeah. <laughs> I won't. Uh, but my po- I don't either. Is the point? I'm not trying to bust you. I have no idea. Who, <laughs> oh any no, of these people are in Parliament or anything like that. It's just yeah. England is uh, seems to be better than the United States. Well, hey now, <laughs> are we going to start having this conversation every week? <laughs> <laughs> but back to the point. Uh, yeah, it, when you come to a new place, it's hard not to contrast it to the old one. And when things are different, you're going to want to just kind of fall back onto the way things were and you know, lament yeah. the loss of, of knowing how things work. Right. And some people um, hang in there and, and they get, you know, they get to know the new, the new place that they're in, yeah. even though it's hard at first. And some people actually do just that. They say, screw this, and they get back to what they know. Yep. Which I'm not judging that because, you know, maybe it takes moving away to figure out that you're, you liked where you were. Yeah. You know? For sure. Um, and I think that's what happened with Lovecraft, right? I mean, he yeah. just wanted to be in Providence. He didn't want to be in these other parts. Of the world. No. Yeah. Well, uh, what, 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 you have some background on the story? I do have you? some background on the story. Uh, 
this it's kind of interesting this little uh, side fact here is this story was written and we actually know the time of day that it was written which was 7 a.m on august 11th 1925 and um, hp lovecraft was basically out on an all-night tour of antiquities through new york so he just like started walking the city not unlike the protagonists of the story looking at mm -hmm. you know old buildings and architecture and monuments and things like that and he eventually you know on his journey he ended up getting on the ferry and crossing over to elizabeth new jersey and then <laughs> in the morning when they think the um the theme of the sopranos was playing as he was crossing over <laughs> on the ferry into new jersey <laughs> I, I don't think the theme of the sopranos was playing no no but, but so anyway he waited until this uh, shop opened up a bookshop and opened uh bought a 10 cent composition notebook and and wrote it wow so, so there you go. Well, so he rocked it all night long, and then yeah, uh, again, this you know it, it kind of dispels a few myths I had about um, Lovecraft about how he, he was just kind of a you know a dandy you know sissy kind of guy where you know mm -hmm. he braves New York City all night. He just kind of stays up and walks and finds it interesting enough to you know do this adventure. You know, it's kind yeah. of I've never done anything like that, but like I've never walked in a through a large city you know until the break of dawn into unknown regions you know that's just it's amazing yeah it's pretty it's pretty fun yeah All right. and um uh the location of the story was actually in greenwich village in a courtyard off perry street and lovecraft found out that there used to be a mansion at that location which early built in the early 1700s but then was raised in 1865 so when he was there it was the mansion wasn't there even though in the story he writes it as if it was so right you know again lovecraft taking bits of you know actual history and trying to incorporate it into you know i tell you i wish that there was a i didn't like the story very much at all <laughs> but um, yeah, I, 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 I wish I that they it. would make a film adaptation of it at some point just so i could see that moment when the man throws off of his cape and reveals his costume <laughs> i would pay cash money to see that actually happen on screen <laughs> Uh, what do we have coming up next week? Next week, we've, we're doing a, a double header, which we haven't done for a while. We're doing The Vault and The Descendant. Or no, uh, The Vault? Yeah. Yeah, The Vault and The Descendant. In The cool. Vault. Sorry. In The Vault. In The Vault like and The Descendant. I love In The Vault. Uh, I've read that one. I oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah, I like it quite a bit. It's, Is... a, it's a very much kind of, um, it's almost like a Tales from the Crypt story or something like oh. that. It's very well, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for uh, being patient with us as we switched the site over, as we took a week off, and, yes. and with our recording today, because we're sort of experimenting with the new format and the new kind of arrangement. So, yes. Um, uh, hopefully all this will be worked out, and um, by the time we're done, you won't even notice that there's a difference between you know the old ones and the new ones, except maybe that they're slightly better. <laughs> um, thank you again, Andrew Lehman, for voicing the story this week amazing stuff thank you so much andrew and uh, i also want to thank uh troy for uh, troy his Sterling music niece, yes uh that gift of allowing us to use some of your music we are going to be cashing in frequently in the future so thanks to you again thank you that so really much helps us out and uh and mike j man working on the site amazing job thank you so much thank you i love the new site it looks great yeah, it's really cool yeah he, he did a really great job with it and you know we're working through these bugs we'll be hopefully up to full speed soon enough and with that, I am Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Chris Lackey. And this has been the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. At hppodcraft.com. HP.
hppodcraft.com.